So for us, we're going to be uh, in the book of Luke, uh, continuing our series uh, on, the, on the parables of Jesus. Um, and uh, so, Jonah, I'm going to need you to actually run my slides because something happened to connectivity. There we go. And uh, so, uh, so uh, as we look through this summer, we're, we're looking at the parables. And the parables are Jesus' teachings on these little vignettes of something common to their day. Uh, you know, we looked at a lot of different farming illustrations. Uh, we've looked at uh, a lot of different things, actually. And uh, in doing so, Jesus is taking something of a normal, everyday experience, and he's making a point about the kingdom of God. And, and so he is explaining the kingdom of God uh, to these people. And so for us, uh, this time we're going to be in one of the most familiar parables that Jesus teaches, and that is the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan uh, is one where uh, n- numerous hospitals have been built in kind of the, the sense of and in the, uh, the spirit of the Good Samaritan. Um, but at the same time, uh, what is Jesus's point? And so what is he speaking and what do we need to hear? So would you stand with us as we uh, just, this is an expression that uh, we are submitting ourselves to the word of God. He speaks and we long to hear from him. We're going to start in verse 25 of John 10 uh, and, um, and then move through the parable. So when behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law, and how do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus to the man, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I get back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go. And do likewise. Let's pray. Father, give us insight into your word. Holy Spirit, would you uh, help us to get out of our attempts of justifying ourselves and making ourselves uh, right before you? Father, I pray that you would humble us to that place where we know we need your grace. 
But yet, Father, then what flows out of that would be a life of righteousness, a life that reflects uh, your love uh, to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as you know, I uh, enjoy playing some golf, uh, but being off on Mondays, unlike most of the rest of the world, uh, you play a lot of golf by yourself. Uh, and so when you go out and when you go out and play, I'm getting seeing all the people that are off on Monday. I will call you. Uh, so. Um, and when you go out on your, by, by yourself, if the course is empty, you play by yourself. But if it's not, they group you up with somebody. And uh, so I actually really enjoy that because you just get to talk to people and all that stuff. And one thing I try to keep until as late as I can in the round is that I'm a pastor, okay? Because uh, that kind of changes things. and Everybody gets all freaked out. And, uh, and in the, you know, like when they, a lot, a lot of times when guys figure out, oh, you're a pastor, it's usually, I'm sorry for all the things that we just talked about. Uh, and, and so, which, you know, is great because I love being around people. Uh, and, and all that is, is just, you know, people that need the Lord. And so one time I was out though, um, and I got teamed up with this group and, uh, it was with one guy, and man, he was like really creative with his language. Uh, it, it was impressive, uh, actually. And, you know, and then just metaphors and different things and, and all of that. And, and so it actually took all the way till the, the parking lot, and, and he, he looks at me, and we, we played nine holes. So it was like two and a half hours, two, two hours together. He's like, looks at me, he's like, hey, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, man, I thought I'd make it all the way to the car. Uh, and I was like, well, I'm a pastor. And usually, like I said, most people, oh, oh yeah, this guy didn't bat an eye. He goes, oh, what church? And I told him what church. He goes, you know what church I'm a part of? I'm like, that's an interesting response. Uh, and he goes, and, and he's like, not, I'm a leader in, and it's not church right around here, but it's in our city. And uh, he's like, I'm a leader at this church, and, you know, I'm, I'm one of the, the elders and, and this. And, and I'm like, interesting. Okay. And, uh, and, and so he just kind of kept talking. And he said they had a new pastor, uh, and the devotion that was given at the leadership meeting was out of Matthew 5. And uh, talked about the Sermon on the Mount and, and the law of God. And, and Jesus, when he said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He said, you know, the, our, our new pastor said, that's not really what Jesus meant. And because none of us could keep the law of God, so that's not what he meant. It was basically just, you know, give it a good attempt, and that's good enough. And it was like, huh. Um, no, that's exactly what Jesus meant. When he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, that's exactly what Jesus meant. And he kind of looked at me, he's like, well, nobody could keep that. Ding, ding, ding. That's the point. The whole point of the law of God is not so that you and I can live according to the law and make ourselves feel good. Or say that the law doesn't count because God is a, law, is a God of grace. The point of the law is that you and I realize how far short we've, we come to the law of God, the righteousness of God. And we don't say, oh, that didn't matter. No, we say we are so woefully short, we have no hope except for the grace of God in his love. 
It's not that we discount the law because God is a God of grace uh, or that we use the law to make ourselves right before him. It's neither of those. It is, I fall so woefully short, I am without hope except for God's grace, which he shows us in his love. And it's an interesting thing because as we get into our passage, we get here to this, uh, to this, uh, this uh, ruler, this lawyer. He comes uh, to Jesus, and basically he's trying to trip Jesus up. He's trying to test Jesus. And he comes to him and he says, Teacher, well, if you're trying to trick somebody and you call them an honoring term, that really isn't what you mean, right? Okay? That is a... <laughs> You know, he might not be saying it sarcastically, but it's definitely not sincere. Hey, teacher. Uh, and, you know, we all had that teacher in high school. We're trying to like, anyway. But, uh, and, and so, he, so he asked this question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Remember, the rich young ruler, he asked, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He asked a very similar question, and Jesus' answer is actually different. What is Jesus' answer to this man? So this is a lawyer, okay, someone very well acquainted with the law of God and understands logic, and he says, what should I do to inherit eternal life, and what is Jesus' answer? He asks two more questions. Like, man. Uh, so Jesus asked him a couple questions. And, uh, and so his two questions are, what is written in the law, number one, and how do you read it? So what's written in the law, and how do you read it? So basically, someone comes with a spiritual question. Jesus probably knew it was insincere. Regardless, uh, okay, you have a question. Let's answer it. But the answer is in the Word. So go to the Word, look at the Word, read and understand the Word of God, and let's start to talk. And so how do you read it? And the man's answer was what? In verse 27. You shall... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is what they, they call the summary of the law. So the first thing is love the Lord. Secondly is that love for the Lord ought to translate into love for others. But what's wild is that it is far from uh, a, a simple, yeah, just love God and love others. Jesus knows that the law of God is the summary of God's righteousness now called for us to act accordingly. So in the first thing he says is, is that we ought to love the Lord. And he says, do this and you will live. Love the Lord and love others. Do this and you will live. And so what is, what's the idea of loving the Lord? What does that really look like? Does loving the Lord equal church attendance? No. Church attendance is good. <laughs> it's good to gather with God's people to worship, but it is not the sum total of what loving the Lord looks like. Is loving the Lord, uh, you know, singing praise songs in your car as you drive to work? Could, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. The reality is we can do a lot of things that look godly, or maybe even our honoring to the Lord, but our heart might not be stirred 
towards him. And so what are the modifiers of love the Lord that, that uh, Jesus answers this man with? Actually, it's the man's summary. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. So the ESV Study Bible, if you have one, flip onto the notes of this verse, and you'll see they, they do some really great kind of uh, quick definitions of what is the heart. Uh, the heart is the emotions, the will, the deepest convictions of who you are. That to love the Lord with all of your emotion and conviction, uh, you know, or is it just something that's flippant, you know, kind of the overflow of who you are. To love the Lord with your soul, with all your soul, not just your body, the physical part of your body, but that, that sense of the person's being that will e- uh, exist for eternity and even at death may be separated from your body, but like your entire, uh, the immaterial part of your being is sold out in love of the Lord. So there's emotion, there's kind of not just your body, but kind of like the whole essence of your being. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You know, how, a, how someone, how you or me uses uh, our ability, how we use our, uh, the talents God has given us, uh, could be an indication of how we uh, live and what we love. So in a sense, what you do with the talents and abilities you have most likely is serving the thing that you love. What you feel towards God, the, the, you know, the, what you do with uh, what he has given you, and even with all your mind and your reason. So to love the Lord can't be a light thing, and, and that's not what Jesus is driving at. And so to inherit eternal life is also like kind of a a similar moniker of what is it to enter the kingdom of God. And that's, remember, we've been talking about with all these parables. So the summary is love the Lord. The second part of the summary of the law is love others. You're like, man, this is the best sermon ever. Keith's never done a a main point that fast. Okay, Uh, so, so love others. Right, and so, so to answer that, what is the man's question? Okay, so he he asks Jesus, "What shall I do to inherit eternal life?" You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, uh, and your neighbor is yourself. Jesus says, "You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live." What's the man's response? But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus. Well, who is my neighbor? So what's he doing with that question? Who is my neighbor? Well, because Jesus just said, love your neighbor and you will live. Basically find eternal life. Go love your neighbor and you're on the right track. And then he wants to say, well, how much love do I have to give to get in? He's saying, all right, what's the minimum amount of love or the a minimum amount of people that I have to love in order to get into the kingdom of God. Now that's a really good human response. What's the minimum I got to do to get this thing taken care of here, Jesus? And Jesus answers him, how? Is it with a question this time? No, he answers with the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
And so he says, a man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so that stretch of road is about 18 miles long, and it drops in elevation 32 to 3,300 feet, depending on where you're counting from. So we're talking like like downhill, big time, jagged rocks, uh, very narrow paths, uh, very dangerous road. And so if you're going by, oftentimes uh, you would go in groups, uh, but sometimes you couldn't do that. And if you did that and went on that road, jagged cliffs and narrow paths, uh, you know, out in the wilderness, all of that stuff, it was a very dangerous road. And that's why Jesus talks about robbers. Uh, those coming against the man and beating him and robbing him. Because Herod, uh, in this day and age, had built, remember he's the king uh, around the time of Jesus' teaching, he had built in uh, Jericho at that time his winter palace. Okay, Uh, And often uh, different government officials worked there. Either they worked in Jerusalem and lived there or lived there and then often would go back and forth to Jerusalem. But it was also the same for priests, uh, the ones who labored in the temple. Sometimes they would live in Jericho. They would travel over to Jerusalem to do their their, their time and their, their time of service, and then they would go back home. And so this was a very traveled uh, route. And, and so his question of who is my neighbor... How far does that extend? Jesus gives this example. His point is basically, not everyone is my neighbor. That's the point he's making with that question. Well, Gentiles, certainly not his neighbor. He's a Jewish man, uh, and Gentiles are outside of the people of Israel. Samaritans, these people just to the north, definitely not. Uh, Fellow Jewish people, okay, that is my neighbor's. And you might be saying, why is that sense of the Samaritans? We've got the Jewish people and we've got Samaritans. Why were Samaritans the hated people of the Jewish, uh, of the Jewish nation? Well, write this down. We don't have time to talk about it in fullness. But 2 Kings chapter 17. It's a fascinating read because it gives the history of why the Samaritans are hated by the people of Judah and of Israel to the north uh, in, the, in the nation of Israel. Basically, it's the Assyrians have come in. They've carried everybody away uh, from, this is now 700 AD or 700 BC. The Assyrians came in and conquered them and took all of the Israelites away. But then they said, you know, we got this land here. We need to populate it. And so what did they do? They sent, this is straight out of 2 Kings 17. They sent people from Babylon, uh, Kutta, Ava, Hamath, and some other place. And they had them come back to Samaria and populate these cities. So basically they took all the people of Israel out and sent back in foreign nations to populate this. Well, then they realized, uh, the Syrians, that these people, they didn't know the first thing of the God of Israel. And God was moving against these people because they were now in the land. And so they, then Assyrians said, hey, let's send a priest back to that area to teach them the things of God. And so you've got all these pagan religions, now a Jewish priest coming in to teach them of who God is, and they didn't throw anybody out. So they kept their 
they're gods that were uh, of, of the different religions of the nations and uh, the, the God of the Old Testament. Uh, and they put them all together in this idea of like this synchronized, syncretistic religion. And so you can see this kind of mixed up, kind of like half-hearted, we know the Lord, but we, we really don't. We, we serve other gods. They actually make their own temple. Um, in, in there. And so basically the Samaritans are hated. Well, it goes both ways. The Samaritans hated the Jewish people too. If someone came through, they wouldn't give them a place to stay. Uh, it was just this hatred between these people. And then this man goes and gets beat up on this road. And who comes by first is a priest, a Jewish priest on his way to Jerusalem uh, or, uh, and, uh, you know, one that would be working in the temple. He's a descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother. So he's a priest. He looks at him and he passes by. A Levite, he was an assistant to the priests. Uh, he looks at him and passes by. Matthew Henry, uh, kind of a, a commentator many hundreds of years ago, said, were these men, or these men were of, uh, you know, were they truly holy, is basically his point, they would have been obliged to tenderness and compassion. That's what a priest is supposed to do, have tenderness for people. And yet he sees someone in need and he walks by on the other side. What does the Samaritan do? In a sense, his love makes good what sin had ruined. Right? His love becomes the proof of faith. So what does love for your neighbor look like? So uh, go to, here we go, 1033. But a Samaritan who journeyed came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Go one more verse, and we'll kind of put all these together. And then he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So what does love look like? Jesus is saying the Samaritan was the one who actually loved. The hated Samaritan, you know, the guy that you can't stand. He's the one that actually loved. What does love look like is the first thing is that you look at somebody and you see them. What did the priest do? He saw him and walked on the other side. What did the Levite do? Saw him and walked on the other side. What did this guy do? Go back one verse. He saw him and he had compassion. And compassion is that word that's talking about like from the gut, you know, like the, the, the kind of the deep emotion of feeling uh, is that he had compassion on him. Then the next verse says that he went in and helped. So he saw he had compassion, and then he actually did something. So one study called the Person of Jesus Study uh, pointed out, so when you're at an intersection and there's somebody who has a sign next to you and they're, they're holding out some message and they, they need your help or you think they want your help but they might not, what is your instinct is to look away? Why do we not look people in the eye? Because we understand when we see people in the eye, we are immediately drawn. Why? Because there's something, not just about seeing somebody, but about looking. 
that our eye contact draws us in. So the priest sees him and goes to the other side. Levite, other side. This guy looks at him, sees him, has compassion, and then enters in with help. Seeing, compassion, and helping. What was the extent of his help is, you know, he puts the guy on his own animal. So that means he's now walking. Uh, then uh, ver- the next verse, uh, after he brings him to the inn, the next day he took uh, two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. So he puts him on his animal. He walks him to a place to stay. He gives him money. He says, I'm coming back, and I'll give you more money. That's the idea of what love looks like. And when Jesus sets this out as a paradigm of love, love for the Lord, but love for others, it brings us to this place where we are humbled to the point of grace, because Jesus asked the lawyer next, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? Verse 37 is staggering, if you think about it, because the guy wouldn't even say the word Samaritan. He says, well, the one who showed him mercy He hated these people so much that he wouldn't even say the word. And Jesus says, you go and do likewise. So in a sense, all the lawyer has to do is love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love others as he does himself, especially those that he hates. That's all he has to do, and he'll be uh, given eternal life. That's it. Go love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as you do yourself, especially people that you hate, and you will have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And as I hear that, that ought to be the most discouraging thing you have ever heard, because you're going to say there's no way possible to do that. And God's law thunders in amen. It's not that we say, well, that's not really what he meant, like my friend on the golf course. No, that's exactly what he meant. And when that's the law of God, and you and I say there's no possible way, what, what was the teacher, what was the lawyer trying to do when he was asking about the neighbor in order to justify himself, make himself right before God, make himself look good. So he's trying to justify himself, and Jesus sets out the law of God, the simple two commandments of summary, and basically says there's no way you could do it. And if there's no way we can do it, and yet God offers eternal life, how in the world is that hope? Is because we get to that place where the law of God brings us to our knees. Calvin says it this way, uh, that, um, that first one, that the law can do nothing else than condemn and is therefore called the doctrine of death because it is impossible for us to perform what it instructs. So if you are here thinking that your goodness, your rightness, your morality, you cut your togetherness, you're an honorable person, if that makes you right before the Lord, you've kind of missed the point of the scriptures. The point of the Bible is to hold God's righteousness so high that you and I say, there's no possible way I need a Savior. 
And then when you say, there's no possible way I need a Savior, then it is to rest uh, uh, and receive Jesus alone for salvation. So the problem's not with the law, it's with us. The reality is that the love that Jesus talks about that the Samaritan gave, that's only a picture of the love that God has for us in Christ. What does Jesus, what does God do? He sees us. He feels compassion for us. He sends Jesus on our behalf to actually help that we would live. He lives a life we couldn't live. He dies a death that we deserve. He is raised from the dead to give us life because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The question is, do you know him? And when you know him, then he gives us a new heart and we're able to love him and love others. Perfectly? No, but it's not the sense that of perfect love that gets us in. It's his perfect love that starts to change us so that we can love others, love him more and more. We can look at the things of prejudice in our own heart and we can say, love drives out prejudice. Love drives out racism. Love drives out any cultural arrogance. Love drives those things out. Because we would love others like we would love ourselves. The question is, do you know him? And then has that begun to transform you so that you would love him back and love others around you? Or are you trying to do it on your own? I pray that the Spirit would free you from that prison and that trap this morning. Let's pray. God, uh, use your word, please, uh, with power in our midst. Uh, God, thank you for a familiar passage. But God, it's, it's kind of interesting how often we, we find ourselves loving like that. So God, I pray that we would, uh, that we would um, first come to grips with the fact that we can't love like you call us to. God, would you allow your grace to wash over us? God, help us to humble ourselves before you, and then you would restore us and empower us to live out your righteousness uh, before you and before people around us. Uh, God, would you be the one that changes us? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.